Ma pauvre. Ma pauvre, pauvre, pauvre. Dans quoi tu t'es foutu Si tu veux profiter de ton petit confort ou je sais pas quelle raison dégueulasse qui te pousse à rentrer dans son délire de merde, tu fais ce que tu veux mais tu t'occupes de lui. Regarde-moi. Tu t'occupes de lui. Il n'y arrivera pas sans quelqu'un, toi ou n'importe qui. I'm Margot Mutter. I'm Rebecca Galt. I'm Brian Lewis. And, And we're, we're out, out to, to get, get you. Welcome back, listeners. I'm your unreliable narrator. Beck's our siren's call. And together we're plumbing the depths of queer text and horror. And here's something that I have to get off my chest right out of the gate. For the last six weeks, six months, time is irrelevant. I have been walking around this earth that you and I share, referring to Julia Docorunou's 2021 Palme d'Or winner. As Titan! <laughs> Titan! <laughs> A little bit of that country twang. And it feels so good to just say that <laughs> out loud again. This is a supportive space. It's okay. It's funny because I know the word. I've heard the word. I've watched the movie, heard the conversations. But some reason, whenever we started recording, I reached into my inner Sam Guthrie <laughs> and really pulled out the bluegrass. But it's real. And uh, yeah, we have we have fun here. But that stops now <laughs> because tonight we're taking on Julia Docorunou's 2021 psychological thriller body horror titan and joining us is brant lewis they are a writer and horror filmmaker you have seen their headlines on dread central fangoria graphic policy and more and in fact your first article i believe with is it fangoria or dread central for your titan article it was fangoria brant thank you for joining us here today to talk about one hell of a movie <laughs> This is such an overwhelming and fascinating journey into psychosexual depictions of masculinity and the specter of ableism and aberrant wombs. You know, before we really jump into it and lay out everything for listeners, because I think we need to take a higher overview before we get <laughs> truly started. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey into horror and what led you to pick Titan for this conversation? Well, I think it's kind of funny to think about my journey with horror because it's I was a very anxious and shy kid growing up. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff scared me, freaked me out and all that. But I was very much interested in a lot of the aesthetics of horror, like Halloween was one of my favorite holidays growing up. And then as I got older, I would watch all the ghost documentaries, cryptozoology stuff, our travel oh, channel. I still do. I can't help it. Yeah, so really it was just a mix of that Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Listen, the Hex Girls were formative for me. Oh, I totally get yeah. it. That whole movie slaps. <laughs> it does. I'd say definitely middle school was kind of like a turning point where I got exposed to Edgar Allan Poe. So I remember like buying a, the huge book of it on Barnes & Noble. 
Another interesting thing, too, is that my sister uh, rode horses in one of the big horse riding festivals. SS Park, Colorado, which is home to the Stanley. So even before I really knew about Stephen King, I remember going on ghost tours there. Stayed at room 217 a few years oh. later. Nothing happened, unfortunately. But I think really, for me, a very formative experience was, and this is important to note, I went to Catholic high school as a freshman, really was trying to get back into reading. And the first book that I picked in the library was Stephen King's Carrie. Oh my God, that's some formative reading right there. It really was. And I just devoured that and pretty much devoured all the King that I can get. Pretty much after that, it was like every week or two, and this is where I got my license, just having my parents drive me to the bookstore and just load up on King. But I'd say that the other thing was get into comics in high school and really getting into Scott Snyder's Batman, which led me into his American Vampire Vertigo. Oh, yeah. Especially Hellblazer. That was another one that I really fell in love with, which was kind of like my way of getting to the genre since my family is not a bunch of horror fans. Yeah, and it's interesting how queers of a certain age have their certain funnels into genre and like Stephen King... And then the Vertigo lines and like those dark fantasy lines at DC that really got into the horrific and the fantastical are so formative. And it's always interesting to see like what someone's first King book is. Yeah, I also think like um, the first horror media you consume, I think sort of sets a tone for the sort of horror you end up gravitating towards. I've said it a few times on here, the first horror book I ever read was Dracula, and that explains a lot about me as a person, quite frankly. And I think it's really interesting to see where everyone funnels in. My first Stephen King book was also Carrie. I support women's wrongs, it's fine. Absolutely. Listen, they all deserved it. They They did. They had it coming. They did. She did nothing wrong, actually. Exactly. But I think kind of like the interesting thing to me with with movies, because I did not grow up in the video store era. Really kind of like when I was a kid, that was like right around blockbuster Hollywood video kind of ending. It was like some trip that went on with my youth group on the TV was playing Army of Darkness by Sam Raimi. And that just captured so much of my imagination it really made me into the horror fan of that because again it's not like i really had a lot of access to horror media if we were gonna watch anything horror it was gonna be some like misery more psychological thriller so really that really kind of like colored me into a horror fan as well as just doing a bunch of writing as a teen a lot of horror stuff short stories poems really stuff that i had to tone down to make it school appropriate right than anything else so (laughs) absolutely been there yeah so it was really (laughs) a lot of that then when i got to college got involved with my college's film club because i knew i wanted to do something creative until i realized that i wanted to go study film and all that so even for that fun note, uh, I did take a gothic lit class in my undergrad. Love that for you. Love gothic literature. <laughs> it's so good. It introduced me to The Turn of the Screw, Shirley Jackson. First time that I ever read Dracula as well. Oh, yeah. Was in that class. And my the professor 
fantastic. I've just been hours and hours in your office just talking about the queerness of the text. Yeah. Which kind of uh, led to your thesis. It did. So I went to grad school for film. Initially, I tried to do the standard film student drama stuff, which just turned out badly. It was just horrible, just cliched stuff until my third project that I made was like a horror thriller. It was called Doppelganger, which was like, this is the first time anything actually worked. So really, since then, I mainly focused on the horror genre of filmmaking. I even took a horror filmmaking class, which is a lot of fun, which led to my First written produced project to actually do well on the festival circuit. And then when it came time to think about what I want to do for my thesis project and what was initially just a queer rom-com until the very end, I was like, what if they're both vampires? This is what people should be asking when they're having trouble in a script. What if they're both vampires? Exactly. So I then massively retooled it ended up calling it lived after midnight because outside of the vampire connotation also it being the name of a judas priest song mm-hmm. where rob halford is truly one of the greatest gay icons of all time i then wrote my writ thesis about how 1980s vampire cinema reflected the queer community at the time absolutely it was a lot of fun i got to talk about fright night near dark last boys near dark especially which i feel is massively undercovered in queer text. So I wrote that, graduated, and then started doing some freelance writing for Fangoria to kind of uh, close the loop and go back to the original question about why I picked uh, Tatan. I think, honestly, outside of it being the first thing that I ever wrote as a professional got paid for i think the other thing it's such a loaded queer text that there's so much to discuss that i truly think that you could just spend years just plucking stuff out of it it also just made a massive impact when i saw it as well because i saw it in a pretty empty theater on a Friday at the local indie theater in Atlanta, I basically had a overpriced uh, IPA. I'm just like, I'm just going to let this overtake me. Because I had a similar <laughs> experience with Raw or even with like Brandon Kerberg's Possessor. It made me emotional. I cried during it. I laughed. It really made such a impact in a way that very few horror movies did. And I think that's why it's so resonant that weird mix of just timing and speaking to me in a way that i think a lot of films don't it's powerful it's a really powerful movie yeah for sure bex you were talking mm-hmm. off the air i believe about like how you had first seen it yeah so my friend at a uh, french degree and wrote their thesis about uh all of julia tacarno's films so raw titan the shorts that she's done previously which was a fascinating thesis, very, very good. And we headed out into the the Glasgow Film Theatre near me, which screens a lot of indie films. I saw The Green Knight there also, which was great. But this was in the middle of French Film Fest, so we went and did that, and it was wonderful. And truly, the whole experience in that theatre is something I've never felt before. Everyone was was like that, laughing and crying at the same times. You could hear 
audibly at some point people like wincing away from things on screen it was pretty incredible to the point where like someone and the someone in the audience had a seizure in the middle of the film and they had to stop it and bring the lights up and everything and they were okay like everything was totally fine afterwards so all good but the film resumed and nothing had been lost like there was often when that happens in the middle of a film like you kind of lose the momentum the story's been interrupted we were right back in it as soon as those lights went back down and it was really special to the point where like you know i'm i'm in the uk we're not known for being particularly effusive about things um but everyone applauded spontaneously at the end and as we were leaving i heard the workers talking to each other and one of them was like no one's ever done that here before that was really weird i don't know why that happens and i was just yeah there was something powerful about that film and that experience and i i think very fondly on it actually oh yeah no that's incredible yeah Instead of just necessarily talking around it, let's take a look at what's hanging over the conversation that we're about to have. Because there's so much in this movie that we have to pick apart. It's wild. So much. <laughs> so the story. And just the summary. Yes, the summary, which is, I'm amazed that people can make a summary of this movie and have it come out the other side. <laughs> this is the story of Alexia. When Alexia is a child, they are in a car accident and have a titanium plate put in the side of their head. When we meet them next, they are a showgirl model for car and boat shows and a serial killer. Good for her. They fuck a flame-wrapped caddy, become pregnant with an aberrant pregnancy, mm-hmm. and then after committing a spree of murders kills their parents, goes on the lam, and tries to disguise themselves as the subject of a 10-year-old missing persons case by breaking their nose in a bathroom and binding their tits and belly, and nobody's buying it, It, and not even the guy who's supposedly the father. Then she spends the rest of the movie hiding out in more northern France in a fire station, learning how to love, yeah, and and giving birth to a new life, a Promethean kind of life. I kind of feel like that's, yeah. maybe I'm being obtuse, but no. it's, it's just such a wild ride. Like, if it's a thriller, that's how it's a thriller. Yeah, the way that I view it, it's like being shot out of a gun. That you won't yeah. stop. The just bullet's just as a piercing through so much until the very end. Yeah. I forgot when it came out. There was that great tweet. It was like, if you need a good family drama... Uh-huh. For a Christmas time, put on to Todd. Because I think this is really a movie about love in many forms. Like, <laughs> unironically, I, I think it's like, it's so easy to be like, it's about love. No, no, this really is about the many types of love. Yeah, for sure. It's about how bad of a person can you be <laughs> and still be deserving of love? And is it the things that we love? that kill us Mm -hmm. you know there are a lot of instances throughout Mm -hmm. where you see the links that vincent goes to to protect alexia as adrian you see how alexia's parents fall victim to someone they love how justine falls victim to someone she loves i mean this is always alexia (laughs) how conscience even falls victim to someone that he loves so i don't know it's it is, it is about love, and it's about the many shapes that takes. 
but how do you all feel about going through the film bit by bit? Oh yeah, absolutely. I just think it's so deeply funny to me that Alexia fucks a car 15 minutes into this film and that is not the wildest part of it. Like right? it just gets wilder as it goes. And you know, it's funny because that's the thing that comes up when someone talks about the movie, but it's barely there. Yeah, like it happens, sure. Fine. Well, that's the thing. I think it's the thing about the movie. It's like anytime you mention it, especially around horror people, they're like, is that the movie where the woman just has sex with a car? It's like, it's so much wilder than that it's almost like if you talk to someone about video drum it's like with a stussy yeah with like with a stussy or like the tv goes weird it's like yes but it's like there's so much more in depth to it where it's like we try to just limit it to that you're just missing yeah so much of it oh video drum is one of my favorite films very good it is. And it's not one that you can just give a standard summary and be yeah. okay to go on your way with. Uh, and I feel that Teton is, is very much like that. Just so much. Well, it's like that that also last time we, you and I mentioned about it being similar to a lot of Lynch's, David Lynch's mm-hmm. work as well, where it's like, mm-hmm. you can't really give a summary. And Often directors like Lynch and Dokarunu and Kubrick weren't apt to do that. You know, they didn't want to give you all the insight or views into the film. Like they feel very confident in their imagery mm-hmm. and uh, their composition and their narratives, which I, it's such a strong narrative because one of the things that we should kind of get out in the open too is that Alexia is for the most part a silent protagonist. Yes. Which, you know, they recently done in no one will save you but you know it's it's not a common I, element to most films I, love it. I think it's a really fun swing and it works so well in this situation where alexia at the start before she moves on and begins posing as adrian uh is a machine in the sense of there's very little emotion beyond the drive to kill which is what she does and she does it very well good for her i'm here to support her wrongs but that's her her focus and her drive and her purpose and there's very little sort of emotion to it Mm -hmm. so it sort of deals with that and then later when she's posing as adrian it's almost like it sort of taps into that fear of being found out like if I speak, they'll know. Yeah, the mortifying ordeal of being known. Indeed. And you can see that too physically by the way that Alexia takes up space when they're entering the car show versus giving up that personal space and power as they're on the lamb. And I think what you just said about there's not a lot of emotion behind like the machinery that is driving mm-hmm. Alexia. I think that's a great place to start with the beginning of this film. So yeah. first of all, mm-hmm. beautiful. It starts with sweeping cuts underneath the hood into the undercarriage of the car. And alongside the banjo of Wandering Stranger is just, it feels very alive. It feels organic, like it's an environment or like it's the inside of something living. You have to wonder in the context of the rest of the film, if that is sort of the spark or if this incident is the spark between machine and person with Alexia. But we get a scene in the car as young Alexia and their father are driving on the road. And here's where I see that first mm. 
problematic trope that the movie kind of uses as shorthand and springboards further with the ideas to take ideas on a grander journey they start with. And it's that Alexia in this car, in this situation, it's like the onset of what is depicted as autistic meltdowns and tantrums. And you can see it also in the dad's reaction in short temper. Yeah, I can see that. But going for that, I think it's just so fascinating to just have almost this Americana song being played in this French movie. Because I think almost, I'm almost expecting if you're going to be doing American song, that's going to be like, a top 20 pop song, but they have like this oh, very yeah. kind of like slim pickets, yeah, banjo music in the car just play. And I think also, do it's very interesting to note that almost kind of reminds me to me when Alexia hits her foot against the seat, it almost kind of feels like it's in beat to the engine, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the synchronization. Mm. Right. I hadn't even considered that because I was looking for those signs of getting attention from someone who's trying to deny you attention, which kind of goes on in that scene. But as a further extension of her connection to that, that's very interesting. Yeah. And I do want to ask you, Bex, with you living abroad, what's kind of y'all's culture with cars in relationship with it? It's it's very interesting because like, it's not the same as like, well, I guess like seeing the American culture with cars, but in terms of the stereotypical broad stroke, right? Like we don't have like muscle cars in the same way. It's not, it is a status symbol, but less so I think. Uh, you are, <laughs> people are more likely to think you are a fool if you're running around in a big fancy yeah. car and making a lot of noise everyone's just sort of like why would you do that that's so disrespectful a people <laughs> after my is, own heart yeah which i think is very funny but yeah a lot of it feels very american especially later on when we move into those car shows i was like oh this is american like just the way it's presented and shown to us yeah this kind of hyper sexual materialism mm. because it's such a, yeah. a unique environment when you get inside there it's, it's and, very fascinating know, not to say that there's not a, a materialistic culture here because that's not true but you know the brits love to understate things and yeah pretend like they're not rich when actually they are and they're like shut up no it's so weird because i grew up <laughs> in the south and pretty much so many people i knew especially in high school would just get trucks and just jack them up like super high, which is also funny because I lived in the city. This is not the country. You're not mudding. Yeah, this is a bunch of city boys thinking that they're being hot shit. It's like, no, this is like, yeah, this is embarrassing. But I think also too, especially in American culture, with cars, there is that very sexualized element. This very fetishistic power. To them, because it's like, if you name a car most of the time, it's going to be a woman's name. You're going to use she, her. Mm -hmm. There's this great Bruce Springsteen song called Pink Cadillac, which is essentially just imagery yeah. of just like a vagina of like, yeah, I would party your pink Cadillac, which is like so many kind of like songs, movies in America are using the car as like shorthand for yeah. that type of thing. Yeah. And it's often, like you were saying, when you're naming personal cards, it's always like you're giving that feminine energy is what they're doing. But 
they're also named very powerful things, right? Like this kind of mechanophilia that you see present in something like Teton or Crash. There's this allure and draw to something that is pressed and powerful and destructive. Mm. But also like something that is powerful and destructive, but very particularly can be controlled and should be controlled. Mm. Like that's sort of the point of it, I guess, is like the status brag there is this is something powerful and destructive and I'm the one that controls it. Well, that's the thing about cars. It's like, yes, they are these dangerous machines that can just kill people. But yet, if you have control about it, knowledge, like, I think there's a reason why with the idea of, like, the license and all that and having this idea of, like, the car is, like, this symbol of unbridled freedom where it's, like, it can go two ways of just, like, of just transportation Mm -hmm. or just killing you and other people. It just instantly a moment's notice. This is a very, very fun film to be covering five days after I got my driving license. Congrats! Listen, you, you gotta watch Christine. You, you watch Christine. Go watch Crash. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny yeah. the thing about Crash with this movie, because when Crash <laughs> came out famously, they never awarded the Palme d'Or at it at Cannes. I think it was I think it was Coppola was the one holdout of like, we can't get this to this movie. It's so depraved. It's just gonna inspire people to have car crashes. <laughs> And Coppola was wrong for that. It won some alternate special award, and now years later, <laughs> Teton wins the Palm d'Or, which it, it's funny because Dukurinu, I, I think she is kind of like that through line from Cronenberg as well, the idea of the body machine, this idea of transhumanism and ascending beyond mm-hmm. what we are. Yeah, and you and I had talked before the show about movies we were kind of rewatching. We like we did Tetsuo and we did Christine. And it's interesting to see that through line meet there in 2021. Because the reason mm-hmm. the car crashed is that Alexia is throwing this tantrum, takes off their seatbelt, looks back on the road, and, and their dad yeah. finally flips and pulls around to mm-hmm. get them in, and that causes the crash. But you get a titanium plate put in their head. She immediately walks and out and it hugs the car and kisses it. Right. It's kisses so, the car. That was the thing. I was just there's so much time. There's packed. so much to pack. I'm just like, this is just like crash. This is like this idea of just dangerous element to where if you discuss about the idea of abnormal sexuality or sexual practices and all that, there is kind of like that hush hush aspect if we're gonna be fully honest with a lot of mm-hmm. cis straight people the fact they don't want to talk about that or the yeah. fact that they view it as more demonized i think it's also interesting mm-hmm. too the fact that's when alexia is a little kid the fact that it's this very frank scene where it's that like duke is directly pointing a finger but she's just putting it on display in a very honest matter of fact way it's very genuine yeah, is totally. how it feels too because if you look at who does she run to who do they run to it's the car like so this movie has a lot to say about fathers yeah and not all too much to say about mothers but in doing so it says mm-hmm. i think yeah. a lot quite a lot yeah but 
instead of those figures, she goes to this machine. You know, it's it's again that sort of thing that you can see as a stereotype mm-hmm. for, for autistic people. It's like projecting onto inanimate objects and isolating from people. But it, I think it's so genuine because that moment still is a sign of love. Like that there's no animosity. Yeah, I think there's a lot of earnestness in it as well. Like that doesn't feel like a game or a play. That's just an earnest, honest thought. And I think going back to what we were talking about, the idea of like love and the idea of kind of like how far can you truly hurt someone and still be loved. The fact that she does it to the car. Yes. Which hurts her mm-hmm. in the accident. The fact that she has to get a played result. And the fact that she still mm-hmm. loves it and over her dad who never receives any of that as well, which is so interesting that dad stuff Mm -hmm. like alexia's dad is fascinating because like i said we don't really see the mother a lot either adrian's mother or alexia's mother in a lot of the shots if she's present she's off to the side or in shadow or far enough from the camera that they're kind of Mm -hmm. out of focus but alexia's dad they hold on a lot in that shot in the doctor's office Mm -hmm. too you can see the guilt over his face as they've got this sort of halo and a crown of thorns going on here with alexia in the Mm -hmm. brace yeah and it persists in their relationship like that's the origin point of their very tense relationship up to Mm -hmm. his death yeah and it begs the question to me does he know I i think that there's something to where there's always this unspoken nature if you grow up in small cities, small towns, where it's like, you know where stuff is going on, but you don't want to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Like, the fact that this has been going on for a decade at this point, the fact that she's been killing, that's what I assumed. Yeah. So, the fact that she's been doing this for a while, and the fact that you could tell... That the dad knows something is up, but the mom is so not involved. Yeah. And so desperate. The dad knows, and I think part of it's probably because of the fact that he's a doctor. He's probably been on call for like some of that stuff. Oh, but yeah. But also, I do think he doesn't want to cross that threshold. Mm-hmm. No, you see it in, in the way that he is really resistant to, like, there's a distance mm-hmm. between the two of them. So, like, they have this scene where they're both preparing breakfast and Mm -hmm. they move about the kitchen and and I'm not going to judge anything about like that necessarily. There's nothing wrong with Mm -hmm. a little silence and distance. I love it. (laughs) But they seem awkward with each other. And when they sit down, they sit down in different areas. And when they're watching the news, first mention of Adrian Legrand, who is a missing boy, they talk about another killing there in the South. And Alexia's dad Give them a look. Mm-hmm. It's suspicion. I feel, yeah, I feel like it's more he suspects that this is what's going on, but doesn't want to know for sure. Because if he knows for sure, he has to do something about it, right? That sort of, that or at least in his head, that's sort of the, whereas if he just thinks but never asks, it's okay. Yeah, I think the dad is obviously the state of complacency where he is just fine to keep up that facade of like, we're a quote-unquote normal family. But he also sees Alexia as almost kind of like a predator. He truly cannot judge about how dangerous she is or what goes beyond the surface. Right, and in the end, that hesitancy gets him 
but but before we get there, so Alexia is now an adult, is modeling at these shows. And this is what's interesting to me about how Dokoranu was able to get us to identify with Alexia. Because when we see them next, mm-hmm. they are sexy, right? They're cool. They're confident. They're moving with confidence. You've got a, a killer Doing song. Doing it to death by the kills. Doing it to death by the kills. That's right. And they own the space they're in. So we see them in this hyper-sexualized car show. Like it feels separate from like any kind of mm-hmm. real car show. Cause car, at least car shows in America, a lot of times, like you line up the downtown yeah. street, right? It's not, this seems to me like people showing off their cars, right? Like that status symbol thing that we talked about. I, I can vouch that I, these don't happen. Well, the thing is the way that I got told about car shows growing up, it was kind of like viewed as more of a lower class thing where it's kind of like a bunch of just stereotypical car people, all that really none of that sexy, cool, hot appeal right right it was more blue exactly and like people who souped up their rides and stuff yeah exactly and i put in my notes for the scene the fucking sickest sweater i've seen in recent memory because i think oh there yeah. is a i think there's a tendency for a lot of directors to just do a water because they think it's just like i gotta show off my skill but i think this works so well, with not only Sinan Vansphere, but also the geography and location of it. Because it is literally Alexia's POV as we're following her descend into this ultra-masculine space where she gains power yeah. through her excessive femininity mm-hmm. and almost kind of like using it in a way to gay them. Right? That there's a lot of gender performance at play here, I think, with Alexia and using and when we talk about this stuff, you know, we're talking about it in context of yeah. these genre films and these tropes and like none of the stuff that we're we're saying is necessarily like, yes, you know, this is how yeah. people yeah. act. Like well it's at, and like this hyper real space where you can simultaneously take everything as literally as it is perceived on screen and also in a wider metaphorical sense there's always two levels it's operating on which i think is particularly fun in this and i think specifically in this like dance scene it does feel sort of quote-unquote male gazy on all these other dancers but alexia when we get to her looks right down that camera and it's sort of gives you this feeling that you aren't looking at her she's looking at you yes and that's so cool like if you're taking it as alexia using gender performance as a cover and a space to hunt Mm -hmm. because we do see her get her first kill and they still set it up to where you're more sympathetic because like fuck this rapist stalker dude but they get that awesome one where they go through the crowds you get this really hyper real sense of the space and then it comes to rest after going around this flame-wrapped Cadillac, the coolest fucking sexiest car. And Alexia, in that time, has changed their outfit. Is in these amazing neon yellow fishnets and this shiny halter top. They just look so incredible. Their hair is down and they are just luring. They're right? luring. And I think almost the way that the camera works, to me, it almost feels like the camera is more sexualizing the car than anything else. Because it's very much like Alexia is the instigator and the car is being the fetish object that she is almost 
using her performance to highlight the sexual qualities of the car because she literally more or less mimes having sex with it in the way that almost feels like julia is never saying that alexi is the object she is very much saying no the car is this fetishistic object in this very sexual way oh yeah and it sets up and sells the notion well i mean frankly of their chemistry but also like this is something that is is bound to spark Mm -hmm. and it is very cool to see her wield the power in that situation. So she gets off the car and you don't know it yet, but you're about to meet her first kill. She takes yes, a few yeah. autographs. When she's off the car, she's not into being perceived, right? Like yeah. she doesn't want all the adoration or anything like that. She moves away. Guy asks for her picture and this is going to be her first kill mm-hmm. because he waits for her outside yeah. in that creepy long panning shot. Yeah, which... Creepy. Don't do that. That's fucked up. It's also like, I think that's when we get the shot of her walking down with like her hairs pinned back up with her peck in it, Mm. which that peck. But I was reading an interview earlier and they noted that the scar on her head where her plate was put in is deliberately shaped to be the same shape as Madeline's signal from Vertigo. Oh, oh so cool. my god, what? Yeah. Love a Vertigo yeah. moment. So like it's deliberately trying to evoke Vertigo and this this fantasy of being able to sculpt someone. And I That's... think that is such a such a perfect little detail that I'm just truly obsessed with. And uh before we get far enough from this, this is Agath Roussel. Uh, this is her first role, and she absolutely mm. kills. Literally and figuratively. So good. I, yeah, absolutely incredible. They said that they had done a, a really wide casting, yeah. but they worked with Agath for like a year doing scenes from Killing Eve oh, and like trying out yes. these monologues, which is really yes. cool to think about with the physicality of the role when they're not typically a verbal character well if you're going back to the robotic as you mentioned kill leave i just thought of villeneuve mm-hmm. very much the idea of like she has no need for human interaction right. really and before we go any further we need to mention the scene that she has with justine uh, right because again if it's a situation of this hyper male environment and then you see justine looking at alexia in that environment and seeing that attraction. Mm-hmm. See that attraction and then Alexia yanking her hair mm. out of Justine's piercing. And just getting that first instance of what lies beneath Alexia. Yeah, and shout out Garcin Marie because poor baby, the worst meet cute you could have. Uh-huh. The worst meet cute, I I also find it so funny because with uh it's brittle. Garizzi also being the star of uh, Raw. Yeah. Where she is also Justine. And Alexia. Yeah, exactly. Different Alexia, but... Different Alexia. So I find it funny, the fact that Julie would be like, hey, you want to be in my new movie? You're going to be in this movie, be almost kind of this cool dancer. You're going to have a bit of... Uh, <laughs> Just show up. So queer romance and all that. Then you're going to be brutally, brutally murdered. Brutally. Well, they love working together. Yeah. Which, great. Love that. Reminds me a lot of uh, Jar Carpenter with Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. You get your crew. You get your crew. It's fine. I I love when directors have, like, an actor that they gotta put in everything. 
Yeah. Uh, I've been watching Fall of the House of Usher and here's Meg Flanagan and here's Kate Siegel. Like, so ultimate wife guy is just like, she, it's my wife, she's got to be here. She's got to be the, the evilest, hottest, gayest bitch in this. And I'm like, thank you for your service. So good. Or like with Raul Cooley, with Mike Flanagan as well. It's like, he has his people. And I respect that. I think that is the fascinating thing about the horror genre. We're almost kind of like, you meet at that level. And then you just build up together. Yeah, and it's really collaborative. Yeah, I love it. It really is. But yeah, so you get that scene in the shower, which reminded me a lot of uh, Brian De Palma's Carrie. Oh, yeah. Very much the idea yeah. of like, the idea of the feminine space mm-hmm. in the way that it's almost, it doesn't feel, I find the term male gaze interesting because it's like, what do we mean by Yeah that in this instance because i think in a way julia she is highlighting the sexual queer aspect Mm -hmm. of the women shower together but it never feels like it's in a very pure just cis head way of just how you do a lot of female queerness yeah it's very matter of fact is one of those academic terms that i'm like oh the internet got a hold of this and now i need to put it on a shelf for several years and no one's allowed to use it for a bit until we all go read Laura Mulvey. <laughs> That's how oh, I feel about the Bechdel test. God. This movie passes it, by the way. It sure does. <laughs> but after that, she goes, leaves the, the car show. She leaves the car show and she is just stalked by this male fan. And I think it's, there's almost two ways of just looking at it where it's like, as soon as she leaves the car show, mm-hmm. She is very much in that male-dominated space, but she no longer has that power. The fact that she has to, like, rent your car. Yeah, God. That's such a creepy shot, because as you're panning across, he's just in the shadow there, and you almost don't see him, because it's half a second, until it goes up to a lit building to where you can see him following Well, it's also so realistic, the way that's shot as well, because it's not like... I think there's a tendency a lot of media for Gibby talk about stalkers and all that to have it be like this very disheveled guy and this guy's just like quote unquote normal appearing dude. Yeah. Yeah. And also it doesn't cut a lot. Like there's a propensity in media today to try to really dramatize what's going on yeah. and to like have it be heavily intercut, make it an actual chase scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rather than running for your life. Which I think is scarier. Yeah. It's way scarier. Yeah. And it's the fact that it is a moment really. Like it's not a it's not a long scene. It doesn't linger. It doesn't draw it out. But when you think about this idea that every night she's there she has to have that same moment. You're like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's scary. Because it's so endless. Well it's so endless and probably due to her that's like she expects something like this to happen and then finally happens right there's a slight improvisation there but there's not an unpreparedness for it because this is when we get the first kill because he stalks her to her car Mm -hmm. and once i realized it was the same guy who took the selfie it's like there's your premeditation exactly right like it's not that he's just some goofy lovesick rapist still but that he premeditated this act. And so you can see the abject terror in her eyes whenever he's like, I think I love you. I have never seen that type of interaction really happen before. I've been to a good amount of 
comic conventions where you always see that parasocial mm-hmm. relationship happen where it's like a bunch of fans just approach the creator it's just just like just, it's a lot it's yeah. a lot too and i think that fascinating thing where with alexia's work and the fact that the way that she has to present herself that idealized version that available version mm-hmm. that available version well it's funny because i just I, i've been rereading this fantastic Choreographed novel parasocial by Alex Kincampi and Erica mm-hmm. Henderson, which very yes. much like deals with this very idea good. of the fan version of you compared to the real mm-hmm. version of you and how we see each other. Yeah. Because in a way, he's not seeing Alexia as a real person. He is seeing her as a sexual object, something that he can win over. And- you know, that's that's kind of the end of the story for him because he... you get that quick, amazing kill. So yeah. she takes the hairpin so out good. right through the ears. It's not lost on me that her first kill we see is cathartic. Like, we get it. We're like, you know what? If I could, I would. Like, I see, like you are saying about that, like, sort of, a sort of parasocial thing. I even see it at my work. I work in a comic store. Um, mm. And we have our all of the sort of femme presenting people have a running joke there where we're like, oh my god, you know what a commander is in Magic the Gathering? We're made for each other, <sighs> and it's like, oh that, no, yeah, it's like that all the time. And I'm like, do you know what? If I could stab someone in the eye with a hair pick after that, maybe I would. <laughs> and would I be wrong to do it? No, truly, I fully support. Yeah, so like her first kill is all. It's also it's, really funny. It is also very funny. Yeah, because like when that happens, then it's just like the body flops out and she's like, great. Now I'm going to be responsible <laughs> for this corpse. Well, first off, I love a good, unique murder weapon in any horror film. So mm-hmm. it's like the hair pick just going through pick. the ear yeah. is so, so good. Gnarly in a way but i also do appreciate the fact that she now has to deal with the corpse which you really don't get no. in a lot of horror movies where it's like yeah we're just gonna let the body just lie here it's gonna be fine it's just it's gonna be out of the <laughs> no shot no one's gonna be suspicious of that when they place their foot on the top of the head to pull out the um, hair pick like that was so visceral so it's so visceral but also too it's like she's done this before she yeah, knows it's practice. yes she has to do this and I think, because almost in a way, too, even before the next scene, this feels like foreplay in a way to what's going to be coming next. Yes. Because what happens immediately after that is that they put the body in the car, yes. right? Like they feed the body to the car. Yes. And its immediate next scene is like, all right, I'm well, here. It, it's kind of like how more of the novel, Christine, the fact that it's like Artie's dad gets placed in the car it's kind of like because even in the novel christine even if it's not textual there is that queer subtext of already falling in love with the car absolutely so i do love the fact that it's almost kind of like she has to do this offering to do this ritual with the car and that i would like to talk to you all for a second about this because this is something that i really love in titan is that Like in Carpenter's Christine, there's this, it's not Promethean, it's kind of like this force of life, it's like ex nihilo, it's very nefesh, you know, it's like this idea 
of something from nothing. Yeah. So like what happened here? Where does this life come from? Who knows? But life finds a way, right? You know, like there's something where when we're presented with the flame rat caddy, who is the daddy who, in the, the next daddy scene. Caddy. The daddy caddy. The daddy caddy. It is like Carpenter's Christine where it comes off the assembly line mm-hmm. versus Kings, which is a possessed soul in, yeah. in the machine. This is life springing from nothing. Yeah. And I find that so cool because Dokoronu has talked about it being like a thing that literally happens. Like there's nothing metaphorical about yeah. it. Well, I think if this was like an American film, that there would be like this timid like exposition about like this car can get you pregnant by science i manufactured this car to do this my brother's car you see yeah which i just really do love about that it's like yeah this car can fuck it's fine go with it don't worry about it don't worry about it this car is slinging yeah it truly is so alexia goes to take a shower to wash off the kill in the auditorium where the car show was And they hear this incredible thumping that there's this pounding coming. You don't know where it's from. And it's very dreamlike because they go to the door and they open it up and there in the middle of the auditorium with all the other lights out is the flame wrap caddy starting on its own with its engine revving and its lights on beckoning to Alexia. Waiting for her. Waiting. It's very romantic. It is actually. It's very romantic. Uh, I, I do have to mention just Williams's score, which has like this gothic oh, so orchestral good. sound. And I find that just such an interesting choice because in a way, it's like in that gothic tradition, mm-hmm. the idea of the monstrosity that's about to occur. Yeah. We're in gothic tradition, the idea of the monster is not one singular thing, but it's multiple things mm-hmm. cobbled together into one being. The fact that there is so much going on so much in the scene and it's just i just love it i love that i love the fact that there is that mirror on the roof as well reflecting it's so fucking it's so cool, cool. and i think it does I, I i think in a way it kind of like showcases dukuro almost just kind of like more or less just like you are going to the edge with me whether you like it or not yes and i think that's so so good well, they really go all out with like their composition, yes. I think is just so incredibly clever. And so Alexia comes to yeah. the Cadillac <laughs> and ties themselves in in a very bondage like way with the seatbelts. Yeah. And then the shocks do the rest. And it is a very erotic little scene. I love that tattoo that Agathe Roussel has right here that says, Love is a dog from hell. Oh, it's, it's so good. So good. I, I also love that even before you get into the car, there is just that sh- the shot of just the car going up and down. Even before you see it happen, it's like enticing you to just think what is actually going on in there. And when you talk about bondage, I can only think about that scene from Dead Riggers where one of the brothers yeah. is just bound in that because mm, almost in a way yeah. if you're thinking about this film which is talking so much about sexuality sexual roles the fact that she is almost almost in this case letting go of the control that she has mm-hmm. and letting the car just top more or less yeah there's a trust there and 
that begins to like the next big thing that we kind of have to talk about, which is like the monsters pregnancies mm-hmm. and Avril Moon. We get that. It's such a soft scene with that next scene where they just wake up in the covers. They're obviously white linen. And then, you know, her hand creeps up and she's feeling the insides of her thighs and she can tell something is changing and mm-hmm. something is wrong. She's also staining oil. That's not a good yeah. sign. No. 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 I, I would admittedly panic if that uh, was something I saw. I'd be like, mm, that's it. I'm done. Gotta go. Yeah, because with, with body horror, I mean, one's familiarity with their own body, the nightmares that a body can truly be without without any supernatural help is something that I really do love, but also at times can really just set me on edge. Yeah. I get that, because if we're thought about the queer aspect of the idea of the body becoming alien to you yeah. and all that, the fact that it's just such a graphic exaggeration of what happens. Mm-hmm. In a way to highlight that very realistic fear and anxiety that you have as a queer person if you're talking about your body. Yeah, absolutely. And they do like a lot of films do when it comes to pregnancy horror and aberrant wombs and monstrosity pregnancies is that they accelerate it, yeah. right? So like immediately thereafter, we cut to the next day. She is living with her parents Oh, also, this is in Marguerite. So this is in like the south yeah. of France, which is very beautiful, yeah. like northwest of Marseille. So we cut to the next day. She's with her parents. And there are two stories that are on the news. One is about Adrien Legrand, who is a mm-hmm. boy who went missing 10 years ago. No one has been able to find him. They're closing the case. And the other is about another body found in the south of France. Oh, no. I wonder who did that. Who could it be? Who could say? Who could say? (laughs) Certainly not Alexia. As Alexia and their dad have that distant breakfast, mom comes in, they talk about stomach issues, and you see the distance when their dad doesn't want to put their hands on them when they say Uh they're having... Because it's described by her mother's like oh you must be having you know period mm. trouble and it's just like no mom i have a car in me <laughs> i'm not literally always on the rag yeah no i believe in a different color today horrifying truly horrifying but also too there has to be something within that scene the fact that alexia doesn't want to be open with her father or even kind of like allow to be vulnerable in that instance as well because she very much fights him yeah which i get that for it's real like, Move. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a big trust issue right there. Save it that, or just like someone touching you. I'm just like, I understand that completely. Mm-hmm. Please do not. Remove yourself, actually. Yeah. So everything accelerated pretty quickly, and Alexia and Justine go out on a date. God, I love this shirt. The neon aquamarine never give up uh-huh. sleeveless t shirt that Justine is wearing on their date, which is a awful date like you just don't take this person home like this is a bad move because immediately alexia starts being aggressive starts going in a nipple ring basically almost rips the ring off which is just but also says so much about alexia and who she is and how she moves through the world because it's like this is the objective it's a singular vision and again with what i think is some troublesome autistic coding there when they're not able to process their emotions and they push away Mm. and there's this trend throughout the movie of you can certainly read scenes other way but you can certainly read some of those kills as them not being able to 
navigate through situations in a way that makes sense to them. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And also, too, in a way, it's almost like, this is her M.O., the fact that she goes out with the people, takes them on a date, tries to really instigate their limits before she kills them as well, mm. which is just... Yeah. I, I do love the fact that Dakota was like, yeah, she's bisexual and a killer, but she's not a killer because she's bisexual. It's just a separate yeah, thing. Yeah, these are two separate things, and that's okay. Two separate things. <laughs> I think that also goes with my personal ableism read on that, is that it's a separate thing, but it's easy whether or not you intend to when yes. you're playing with tropes in a genre. It can be easy to entangle those things and have it just be a part of the living document that is well, that movie. Well, also, too, there is the other side of that is also trusting that the viewer is going to be able to entangle it. It's sometimes they are and sometimes they are not. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I just really, it's just so good. It's so I good. Don't know. Maybe that's just the south side of France's queer scene. You just go, just go do it on the bank. You go do it by the boats on the banks. Yeah, paint the town red. If anyone from the South Side of France is listening and wants to inform us, please let us know. Please correct me. Yeah, email us at outtogetyoupodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear. So when they have that moment of tension, Alexia runs away, immediately vomits, and runs back to Justine. So they both go home Mm -hmm. to kind of like figure out the situation. And we get that incredible scene I mean, the next two scenes are both incredible, but that incredible scene of Alexia taking the pregnancy test. Well, she does the pregnancy test and then she takes one of her... Her kill pins. Her kill pins and tries to do a homemade abortion and she can't do it. So intense. I really do... I, I do enjoy the fact that Julia doesn't shy away from it nor tries to view it as this horrible thing it's this very matter of fact way of presentation yeah it is what it is it is what it is you can't do that in america if you try to do that in america i don't know in france if how it is in canada with the commonwealth countries where they fund movies uh it did have some french funding i believe yeah i think it was that's wild at the end. i love that there that's some... just wild. well that's also how career made mm-hmm. most of his movies in the 70s and 80s like yeah through the canadian government and i'm just like if you try to do that in america oh no <laughs> who cares about the arts well that's why the military are sponsoring a whole bunch it's of films, right that's yeah. how that goes but yeah she does she attempts to self-abort. It doesn't work out. It's and she's also wearing no. Justine's shirt. Yes, which is so good in the yeah. next scene because we get like a big kill scene coming up. I also love the visual language that comes out of using that kill pin because it harkens to a dipstick. Mm-hmm. And so like there's this association that's now happening between Alexia and the thing that she loves. And then we get the scene with Justine. So they are in this beautiful French estate. And Justine, what an angel, honestly. It's like the first thing is like, you should have known sooner. You should have seen sooner playing to again that accelerated pregnancy. Yeah. She's too sweet. Because it doesn't take more than a minute or two for Alexia to go in for the kill and miss it. Oh, it's so sharp. It's so quick. And it's only by a moment that they end up stabbing Justine through the face with that thing, right through like the cheek and jaw. I love it. It's It's so so brutal. brutal. I, I believe this was practical effects, which I'm just like, yes, practical all the way. I love practical effects. (laughs) 
I, I love so it good. too because it's so stylized as well. Mm-hmm. It's this very hyper stylized way of doing that. So she misses. And this just engages possibly one of the funniest scenes in the movie with just how over the top it truly is in a way that it's like, which again, with Tatad playing with these different genres, because mm-hmm. it's like you have the body horror, you have the black comedy, you have the erotic thriller aspect of it, the family drama in the way that Julia is able to just alternate between them so seamlessly is so impressive considering that this is her second feature. Mm-hmm. They understand pace and tension really, really well. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's been a slow burn since that first kill, which, I mean, is only like two scenes, but it normalized back down enough that as you're getting this intimacy, once that breaks into the tension, it holds on for dear life. Mm-hmm. So Justine and Alexia struggle and finally does get the killing, but only in enough time for Justine's roommates to be coming down the stairs and yeah. takes a fire poker yeah. and brutally beats this man near to death and then to finish it off puts in a stool and breaks their jaw and neck i love it so much and then sits on that stool like that's where sits on it yeah like they understand how to play those beats that's so good i forgot and then the other roommate walks out yep he's just the nicest guy oh jerome the nicest and she just walks with the fire poker She's just holding it behind her as she just lets drag. Drags it. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, what's going on? It's like, uh, nothing's going on. It's fine. Hugs him and then kills him. And I'm just. It's like, I'm so tired. Uh, oh, well, I could give you my bed and, and get that killing. Well, it's also interesting, too, because in this movie, there are only two black characters. Well, there's there's more. They're the firemen. The firemen, but more I know what I'm trying to think of the way the frame. There are two. Are you also thinking about the woman on the bus? Yes, that's what I'm thinking about. Who have like have that? It's which I think that is a thing to discuss. I absolutely do. So that there are a couple of things in this film where again I don't think it was intentional, but I think you definitely see some racial tropes, but also just sort of the violent system that black people have to live in, regardless of. Mm where they are or who they are and and so like jerome is presented as this like very young sweet guy who gets sacrificed on screen and then you also yeah. have later in the film adrian who you've seen be you know very reactive uh-huh. violently to sexual abusers and, and threats yeah. of rape who then like basically just abandons this black woman who has had like a gang harass and stalk her and again i don't think that those are like intentional but they're they're nonetheless it's also very french and that, you know, France is a country that has its own baggage and issues with the way uh, culturally racist treated and discussed. Mm-hmm. So I'm not overly surprised. Like, it is disappointing, but uh, by nature of it being such a French film, I think a lot of that, like, cultural ideal can be kind of same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, it's like, as an American, it views and reads very differently. Yeah. But she kills Jerome, and then moves over to the roommate. It's a struggle, and the roommate gets away. And it puts Alexia in this now tense position. She just went on a spree kill, and now one of the witnesses has actually gotten away. miraculous that's the first time this happened after 10 years. I mean, Mm -hmm. good for her for being so efficient beforehand, I guess. 
for sure. And this leads to the pressure being put on Alexia and for them to go on the lam. Mm -hmm. They walk back home, they come up the beach entrance and their father sees them from the window and there's that knowing moment again. And Uh then they go to destroy all the evidence and they set the house on fire. Fire coming up again. I think this is interesting with the film is that we have the flame wrap caddy, the fire in the parents' home that they use to kind of go on the lam and start anew. The fact she ends up surrounded by firefighters. Yes, by firefighters and protectors. So I just think that's interesting to note. But they set fire to the blankets in the basement and it sets fire to the rest of the house, but not before they lock their parents inside to burn alive. Grabs the key, opens the door, looks at her parents. Her dad slowly Uh wakes up, has no idea what's going on, which honestly understandable because you would you never, would never guess that's what's going on my child is gonna burn you yeah uh, that so she just does that and then he immediately runs to the door and then we cut to her walking outside lots of blaze and i think it's important to note as well if we're talking about fire in a thematic sense there is that idea of fire as purity as mm-hmm. cleansing as creation is, and destruction. As creation destruction she is essentially destroying her old life yeah she's rechristening in a kind of way in this new liminal state and also that music is so good jim williams house burning go so listen good. to it go right now it. incredible track it's incredible incredible it's score so good so she does that and then she then goes to is it the bus station or train station? I think it's a train station. Yeah. So they hitchhike to the train station. They have that funny moment where they're like, oh, can we go one more stop? Because the whole place is surrounded by mm-hmm. cops now. The word is out. People are initiating a manhunt for Alexia and they're feeling cornered. They see their mugshot and then they see missing child photos, including Adrian Legrand. And then the most batshit idea in history forms in Alexia's head. And then they go through with they it. They go through with it. I forgot what the documentary was called, but there was that case in America where mm. this family lost their kid. And then years later, he came back. But it turned out to be this French mm-hmm. guy who like did this yes. for like multiple times, would just present himself as like a family member. Cool. Right, which is what they do. They... Break their nose on the fucking sink counter in a very long shot. It's brutal. Yeah. Here's what I have. The nose breaking scene is one of the hardest things I've ever watched. Yeah. But they make you stay with it, yeah. right? Like they want you to experience what Alexia well, is experiencing. Well, what's worse is she fails the first time. And does she, it again. She has to do it again. Which like I respect, but I simply could not. I've... I could not. I couldn't even do that. I could maybe do it the first time if I was feeling real silly goofy. But if I didn't, if I didn't do it, I'd be like, well, I tried. Anyway, gotta go. Mm -mm. Yeah, I gotta go. So Mm -hmm. she does that, binds her breast. Like ace bandage binds their breast, by the way. Yeah, this is not a nice, comfy binder. Just pop it on. No. Yeah, do not use ace bandages. This is your PSA. Absolutely. Be safe. This is not safe. Be safe and all that. She also. She has to bind her womb as well. Shaves her head. I yeah. think she nicks her eyebrow as well. Yeah, shaves off her eyebrows. Which honestly, understandable if you want to truly yeah. disguise yourself as someone else. Go do that. But here's what's baffling to me. So like from the get-go after all this, 
nobody is buying this. The cops aren't buying it. They're talking to Vincent, who is Chief <laughs> Legrand. And it's like, okay, so you don't have to say anything. Really, we'll do a DNA test. But he just so badly wants to believe that that's his son. Come home. Yeah, because that's the thing. He, he says he's your son. Do you buy it? Do you truly believe it? And he unironically is like, yeah. Yeah. Because this is a nationwide case. This is so, this is like big news in yeah. the nation. It's been 10 years. They're stopping the case. They're closing it. Nothing's happened. And then this figure comes out. At the same time as there's this murder case. Well, well also too, right. I don't blame Vincent no, at all. Because it's like, if I lost a kid for like years, you would want anything. You would want anything. Yeah. And I think too, there's almost two ways to look at this where Vincent is either a fool who cannot see the wool in front of his eyes or he's a man so lost in grief that he sees another chance to have what he lost. Yeah, to do it again. Right, and it's it's very much the latter, though you mm. might yeah. not take it at first. And it comes back to, does he know what is the culpability of father figures in this mm -hmm. film? But it's just so funny to me that, like, this gremlin shows up, and <laughs> they're like, yeah, well, they I say they're your kid. Because I, I think Vincent Lindon's, like, this very acclaimed french actor hmm. and it's like you need someone this is the guy you put in for dad when you want to pull heartstrings not only with that but also yeah. someone who takes this seriously and doesn't play it off as a joke no of course not he doesn't play it off as a joke and i think i've i think all the performances in this film are great but there's a lot of pathos to his performance in particular that I find very compelling to watch. Oh, fully agree. And he really brings that gravitas to the role. Mm -hmm. So, like, when they, they, they drive home, right? And this is, like, three hours. The most awkward car ride. Well, Alexi keeps trying to flee. Yeah, he tries, He keeps on trying to pull a ladybird <laughs> and just jump out of the yeah. car. But, but he's like, no, shell locks. Mm -hmm. So it's, like, this extremely tense awkward car ride yeah. oh when the scanner comes on too like realizing that this person who you're trying to like deceive is in the emergency services mm -hmm. not great not great at all and they uh get up to the fire station because vincent is a fire chief and they get locked into the compound i'm just gonna call it a compound it is, it's a compound <laughs> yeah a compound with like bisexual lighting yeah yeah definitely <laughs> but it's also the fact that she chose an extremely masculine space for this, a firehouse. Yes. And full of firemen. Because I think to me, especially if we're talking about homosocial spaces, I find that super fascinating. I actually was part of my undergrad thesis. So it's like, I find that truly interesting. Because I think in a way, if you didn't like it was a police station, it no. would not work. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't work because first off, ACAP, ACAP yeah. second... A calf. Second, there is almost that built-in view of the toxicity yeah. of the police. Mm -hmm. A police station in particular, I think, would have uh, a much more hostile feeling mm -hmm. in terms of interpersonally and to the audience. Even to French audiences, French people love to protest. That's their whole thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. But I think with a fire station as well, it's like on the outside, 
you think firemen, they're great, they're yeah. all nice and all that, but there's still that homosocial aspect of the rules mm-hmm. and the boundaries. And the correct way to perform them. Exactly. Like, even if it's not how it is for, like, other spaces, there is still that built-in homosocial hierarchy and performance yeah, of it. and code, almost. Which is just all bullshit, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Oh, yeah. The psychosexual coding that goes on is, is like when we see Vincent and his relationships to the firefighters and how he tries to engage with Alexia's Adrian, it all feels like you're saying testing the boundaries and the rules and to its own degree, how you're supposed to like healthily express that. Yeah, I was a Boy Scout, so I have full experience in killing social boundaries. What you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, what is quote unquote gay yeah. or not. Mm hmm. And it's just so wild to just think, yes, this is how the world operates by these manners. And it's neat, too, because like you see it different for the interactions one-on-one with Alexia as Adrian and Vincent. And then you see it versus the rest of the station and how he engages with the rest of the station. And that brings up the third specter of this movie, which is gender deception. We've probably been throwing a lot of pronouns for, yeah. for Alexia and Adrian because this... Uh, Julia Dokarunu has said explicitly that they don't view it as a trans film or Alexia Adrian as a trans character. Yeah, this... Oh God, this, this is... What I think this is the most fascinating aspect of the movie. I'm me. saying it's so much I'm to saying unpack. this to Zoe earlier when I was talking about us doing this film. Now, Zoe has never seen this film and was like, not for me. And I was like, that is very valid. It is not for everyone at all. There's a very specific type of ick that it can give you. But I think it's just so fascinating. It uses, I mean, it, it uses the visual language of trans masculinity, right? Like, Alexia is binding and is shaving their head and not things like that. But there's also a part that I think can sort of be read almost in a trans femme sense. And Alexia reclaims her name as Alexia at the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's like, a very earnest interaction there. Yeah. And she, like she conceals a lot of herself to appear acceptably masculine in this space. And I just think this like blend of these two separate experiences with this shared core is so interesting. It's so interesting because almost the idea of like she is hiding her femininity. She has mm-hmm. tried to be masculine wearing baggy mm-hmm. clothes, trying to like hide those aspects of herself. It's just super interesting. And weirdly enough, there's almost there was this thing in comedy films for a while where it was like, this woman has to disguise herself as a guy to go to the yeah. college. Oh yeah, gender farces were big in the early 2000s again. Yeah. In the 80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the 80s. And I think in a way, you could, there are a couple of ways to read into this. Where is the more lenient pro-trans reading mm. but also the idea of she is disguising herself in infiltrating these spaces yeah. by being who she is not and i think that there are a lot of ways to read this depending on about who you are as yes. a person and how you view trans yeah, people absolutely and it's just interesting to watch them traffic in that kind of like imagery and plot contrivances because i think that it's also can be read as a way to give Alexia space 
to be more of themselves that they couldn't be in a traditionally femme environment or position in the world. Yeah. But this gets to the back half of the movie where Alexia is learning to kind of be Adrian and mm-hmm. getting into these spaces. And it, it's very clear from where they're driving up to the fire station that it's going to be another tense relationship with a father figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a tense relationship because that night they have mm-hmm. dinner and she's not talking. Yep. Vincent is trying to get her to talk, do all that. It's not working out. Right. Even a phone it, can say hello. Yeah. Which it's, it's such a killer line. Hot huh? killer. Yeah. But there's this bit where she leaves the room and then he puts on music. Yeah, puts on She's Not There by the Zombies. What a song. It's a great song. And I find that he is dancing Uh and trying to engage with her in that very more feminine space. Yeah, Yeah. it's vulnerability. And like Vincent is giving this vulnerability. And you also see the way it evolves through that because he tries to engage Alexi in a dance. They kind of have like a, a terse kind of not exchange but like physically like they're not into it and then they have a fight so that's how like mm-hmm. he's navigating through it and before this like the night of vincent takes alexia's clothes to wash them finds the kill pin and can recognize it for what it is outside the context right because they no longer have that hair and gives it back to alexia which they then pull in this fight yes it reminds me a lot of the lighthouse with the scene of William Defoe and Robert Patterson are dancing and all that. They're about to kiss and then it breaks into a fight because that is the thing about this moment of just like Vincent cannot be vulnerable, whether it is purely out of the masculine energy of the firehouse. If it's because of grief in his own emotions, holding him back. But there's so many, there's that charged aspect of just like- That queer sublimation. Exactly. The fact that he also says to Adrian and Alexia, fight like a man. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like the idea of, if we talk about gender and all that as well, it's like the quote unquote correct way of practicing masculinity. It's like, yeah, we got to fight. We have to fight this out. That's how that works. It's this the destructive response to intimacy. Yeah. And then we get this really cool scene because like you're talking about that grief that Vincent has gone through. And you can always have grief when you're reunited with someone after a trauma, 100%. Mm-hmm. But we get that next scene where they are going through the fire training and it's Rayon and Vincent, which Rayon we didn't mention before. So Rayon or conscience, which is what everyone calls him. Huh. And so we get a little introduction where it does not hit off with Alexia slash Adrian and Conscience. But then one of the next days, it's Vincent and Rayon in a fire training simulation. They go into this building. They simulate flames. It's just like a training response unit, right? And in the middle of it, Vincent hallucinates the charred corpse of a child sitting inside cross-legged in a cabinet that no one else can see. Like Rayon says, I don't get it. Everything looks all right. And I think it's that moment where he's coming to terms with the reality that's not his child. And I think it speaks to the idea Mm -hmm. that like he already knew that because he knew his child was dead. Yeah, I think we also need to rewind a bit as well with Vincent where we have to, 
at least note the steroids the steroids about that he is steroids because he's in the bathroom which is in this very sickly pink yeah. type color and the fact that he takes steroids and then you see as well that he's done this before multiple times yeah he's not, he's a, not great a great shot. shot no not at all yeah so he does that and then he goes to the gym working out doing all the pull-ups mm-hmm. all that it's like yeah look at me i'm a tough guy i'm a tough bro it's just and he still has his breakdown because he's like god damn it god fucking damn mm-hmm. it can't do what he used to he can't achieve that masculinity that he once had yeah and and you're mm-hmm. right to point at the steroid stuff too because there's just again so much stuff in this film you know it's that that it's almost like he is I hate the word overcompensating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But in a way, he is attempting to bridge that gap between his idealized view of masculinity. Yeah, he's attempting to cope with the gulf he perceives between what he is and what he should be. Because he's not like a 20-year-old man. He's like in his no. 50s. Yeah, and you can see the way that gender stereotypes and expectations harm everybody. Exactly. Because he yeah. is scrutinizing his image when we see him do these first set of shots it's in this three paneled mirror kind of giving the idea that he is like always looking for an angle in which something is inadequate Mm -hmm. inadequate and then also you have like the pinks of the bathroom reflecting onto him another thing as well that i do appreciate being a french film the fact that if this was like american he wouldn't have like a six pack yeah he's just like an average dude he's just like a pretty, pretty good, well-in-shape average guy in his 50s. You can tell that, like, prior to the story, like, what his life probably was was getting up every day in a routine, managing with the loss and trauma he has, working out, and trying to, again, like, continually run and to clear that gulf that can never be met because it's not realistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because also, too, he is the fire chief. He is the top of the fire station that all of them look to for guidance support image all that now adrian's come in and there's that rivalry there yeah. also there's that disruption the fact that yeah adrian is like that rogue element mm-hmm. but yeah they do i was very confused when i first watched it i was just like this is a simulation what is going on here? right i truly think that that is like it's not spelled out for us but between that and then the comment from adrian's mother who comes in for two scenes about like smelling him in the walls you know still permeating i thought that while not necessarily connected there is this element that that's trying to paint that vincent knows that their son is dead the way that that actress plays mm. this role it feels like she blames him for his death or that he might have been somehow the cause for him to run away oh i'm not even talking about that i'm talking about the simulation itself i was like what is going on here with all this oh fire? yeah oh yeah and it was like if it was fake i'm just like what's what? happening i was like oh it's simulation i didn't realize that the first time i watched that i was a bit confused that it was like oh then <laughs> well it's me. not something we're used to seeing and again, it kind of takes us off balance for that. Yeah, which I do like because this movie is like laid out. I was kind of like a game of like three card Monty where she is just slowly unveiling what is underneath each thing. Yeah. And it's just going in a way that you don't expect. In a, but I think the important thing as well, it's like it's in a satisfying way. It's not like it is taking you off left field. It sort of feels like you're waiting for her to flip 
cards and you think you're playing with a deck of playing cards but every card she flips is a tarot card like oops all towers baby yeah oops all towers i think that is a sign of a great filmmaker in my opinion where they take you in the direction you didn't know you wanted to go yes but she takes you on it while also unveiling stuff that makes sense in hindsight yeah and and goes as far with the premise as they can yeah and you exactly. never feel cheated out of anything i don't think yeah, they no. ring everything clear yeah so they set up at the firehouse and the rest of the story kind of unfolds there adrian does try to leave at one point and vincent says a line i always think about why are you always trying to go you're already home yeah that's good well, and even before that, there is that scene of them as a team of her, Vincent, and uh, I'm just going to say Conscious because that's mm-hmm. easier to remember. No offense. Sorry to the French <laughs> listeners. Conscious is easier for me as American. But the fact that they go to that call of the mother where her son overdosed. Yeah. And Lexi is just standing there watching this dead body try to be resurrected in a way she's seen death in a new life yeah because they're not usually around for anyone trying to help right and so they go on this call Mm -hmm. because like basically vincent has upgraded adrian to come out into the field to like be a part of this french unit that is like premier national emergencies and they go to a man who is beat on sleeping pills is what it seems like and in the midst of it, the mother has a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes that farce again. But Vincent sends Rayon out to call for help. And Vincent uses it as a moment to teach Adrian CPR and how to save someone's life rather than taking it. Yes. Yeah, it's just so much because also, too, it's the fact that it's a dead son. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, you know, when they leave and they have successfully at least saved the mother, Vincent pulls Alexia Adrian so tight, right. proud of them. I, I forgot. Is that when Rayan sees the image on the phone? Yeah. The mugshot. Yeah. The mugshot, so like yeah. they're just checking their phone and they see Alexia's mugshot as they were presenting before on their phone and ask them, so where are you really from? Mm-hmm. And you just get that small, sly smile out of Alexia. Ugh. It's just so... It's so good. It's so good. The fact that this is her first like feature film is incredible to me. It's impressive. And also, I do really enjoy the fact that the firehouse feels like a living, breathing yeah. communal space. Like this microcosm of society. Yeah. Because it's like, even if you don't meet all of them they all feel like actual people working as firefighters Mm -hmm. but also hiding to a degree as well well i mean you get that scene when they come back that's like set in that bisexual lighting where they're all having a party it's set to that future island song it's so good homosocial euphoria like everyone's done that right job Mm mm-hmm well, it's also like the quote-unquote acceptable time show intimacy with each other as men. It's like, yeah, we could just dance with each other, just slowly move to bisexual lighting with this very pop indie song. <laughs> and it's fine because this is the time and place where we can do it's this. It's allowed right where now. It's like, it's that gay. 
it's fine. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. And that's in contrast to when Adrian first presents to the firemen and they're like, oh, well, guess what, guys? Jesus is white and gay. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, there's also that moment at the beginning when Adrian is placed within the firehouse and one of the firemen uses the... Oh, the arsler? The arsler. And yeah. just and it's like one of those, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it's just there as more of a shock thing, but I think it was important to point that out. Mm-hmm. There's so much in this film that is great that I love to pieces. And then there are parts that you're just like, what? Yeah. And I think those are the best movies to discuss. Yeah. The fact that there's so much loaded aspects. Oh, for sure. And something I want to talk about before we get too deep into the party scene. Right before we get the CPR scene, we have the scene where Alexia, as Adrian storms out, gets on the bus, you know, ignores the kind of looks that he gets of, of like mm-hmm. asking for solidarity and help from the black woman who's on the bus who's being harassed. Vincent mm-hmm. takes that opportunity to overdose on steroids mm-hmm. and goes into a kind of catatonic state on the tub. And it takes Adrian coming back and calling him Papa to get him out of it. And you see that moment where they're going to kill Vincent, but they can't. Mm -hmm. And ever since Adrian arrives here at the compound at the fire station, there's been this positive influence. And like, is this person worthy of love? Look at this person who, like Vincent, is immediately protective of Alexia Adrian, you know, tells the other firefighters not to fuck with him, all this stuff that Alexia's dad wouldn't do. And it shows just a bond that's growing there, like a genuine love in a brand new way. Well, Alexia's OG dad very much has that stereotypical horror dad energy where it's like, I don't really care. Yeah, doomed. About what's going on? I, it's like, I just, I have a job. And if you're not at work, I don't care about you. But I just, like, that's the thing too. It's like, it's very much these two people experiencing this very unique personal relationship. It's slowly opening up. And try to approve. Yeah, I mean, you see that intimacy in that dance scene, in that party scene with the Future Island song. Mm -hmm. Conscience comes over and be like, why don't you crawl back into whatever hole you came from? And in response, I love this, in response, Alexia gets up and goes and dances with Vincent. And it's this very pure, Mm -hmm. euphoric, joyful thing that everyone is like fucking into. It's fine. Second. It's the dream. It's the dream. Right? It's the unattainable dream because then immediately we go into the scene where Adrian's mother is coming to have dinner with them and sees right through. I mean, not immediately. She's like willing to suspend her disbelief that this person could be her son, but it's not. But no, it's no. And also, too, she waits until Vincent is gone. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because she doesn't want to shatter. His dream. No, not all. In a way, she always feels pity for Vincent mm-hmm. for going along with it. The fact that before she confronts Adrian, you have her just scratch her stomach until the metal pops out. Yeah. Which is just so visceral. And also, too, just highlighting, she doesn't have much time left. Right, because it's accelerated at this point. You have to engage suspension of disbelief to believe that Alexia Adrian can hide this because it is now nearly full term. Yeah. I also like that in that scene before Adrian's mother discovers Alexia, they try to be like, you know, we can go away, just the two of us, giving again to that implication that Vincent might have been responsible for Adrian fleeing or not being around in the first place. 
Mm-hmm. But then once she unveils this deception, you know, rightfully angry, she has her moment of explosive anger. And then she's like, you are going to stay with him and you don't take care of him. I don't care who you are, but just don't abandon him. You've committed to this. You have to stay. There. She needs someone. You are another. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a line. I forgot. Does Alexei put on the dress before or after this? I feel it's after. No, it's before. What happens is she comes back from the the bus station. She comforts Vincent. And then because they don't know if Vincent's going to get up, looking through the house and sees the photos and then puts on that yellow floral print maternity dress. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is like this mixing of masculinity and femininity. Also, too, considering the fact that Adrian is quote-unquote androgynous. Mm-hmm. The fact that so Mm -hmm. much of Adrian's gender identity is determined by how others perceive them. Which goes along with the silent protagonist element to it as well. Which I do really enjoy because I think there's a tendency to view silent protagonists as passive, which Alexia Adrian is not. Very much is not, yeah. But the fact that even with this feminine item on vincent still views views them as his son right that it's an immaterial thing or it's a it's an ethereal thing it's not based on just what other people would see it's like yeah. it's like that meme of are you winning son yes <laughs> it's just, are you winning son are you winning gender son yes <laughs> do you know actually what other view it's like it's the, I'm going to get a good grade in gender, something that is possible to achieve and normal to want. Absolutely. I love that when Adrian's mom discovers Alexia, you get to see the full breadth of what is happening to Alexia, right? Because it's just visually, it's really stunning. It's rough. The titanium under her stomach. It's, I mean, it. yeah, it's rough. Yeah. It's, it's rough, but very cool. Mm-hmm. But you see the desperation mm-hmm. that they're in because this is, again, like when your body turns against you. Yeah. Well, also, it's, again, the queerness of the body horror, the fact that this is not a quote-unquote typical pregnancy. This is a weird, monstrous version of pregnancy where it's like the metal is coming underneath her skin. Her nipples are leaking oil. She is bleeding oil. This is not what is quote-unquote supposed to happen. Right. Also, when it comes to aberrant wounds, Dr. Robin Armin's Coleman talks about this a little bit in the wonderful book, Horror Noir. They've got a second edition out now. It's a history of black horror from the 1800s to present. It's great. And if you're really into horror like we are, I can't recommend it enough. But if you're not as into academic text, they also just put out a book this year with Mark Harris. And it is called The Black Guy Dies First. And it is also a really cool exploration of black horror in the Hollywood system and outside of it. But in that, they talk about it's not just the instance of the pregnancy. When you're talking about aberrant wombs, it's also about what the body can do. The horrors and the fears that erupt from concepts of reproduction and what the female body is typically viewed as having the possibility for. Also, the psychological horror as well. That's like, I can't tell anyone. I have to hide this. Mm -hmm. I can't let anyone notice this as well. And I think it's a result of a not-cis-het sexual act. It's with a card, Mm -hmm. like the fact that the card does not exist within the typical sexual binary that we have. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful that after such a tense scene too, it it shows Adrian in a sweatshirt again, 
eating in front of the couch, like just eating a bowl of food, just like they did after their first kill. They're just vibing. Yeah, they're just vibing. It's it's cute and they're comfortable. It's like the first time you really see them comfortably existing mm-hmm. in this space. And also it's when they're trying to get an update on the murders that they've committed. And they're just like, you know, what? I don't want to watch TV anymore. <laughs> I'm good, actually. Fine, cable's too expensive. <laughs> You know, this kind of gets to the like the last 30 minutes of the movie. And so Vincent still doesn't know, no, mm-hmm. but he's cluing into the identity of Alexia and who they are versus who Vincent wants them to be. And you get a scene of Conscience and Vincent going out on an actual emergency. And they're going through this very smokily lit forest area. They go into an RV and there is a propane tank that they have to pull out. And, mm-hmm. and Conscience is like, you should secure that. And this is where what you love will kill you because Conscience, who looks to Vincent as this father figure and looks to Adrian as a rival, doesn't think that they're going to do anything. And Vincent actually does not secure the tank, which blows up and kills Rayon. Yeah. <sighs> love it. I That's so good. The lighting is, is immaculate. I think, honestly, so many movies could just take a page from the lighting in this. Yeah, the lighting always is so deliberate and i really love that from the scenes in the south of france which are very warm in a lot of ways and just feel very alive to kind of this scene right here which i know that she said she was inspired by the lighting of 1917 Mm. and we haven't really talked too much about it but like she's also spoken about how nan golden who is a famous photographer in like queer scenes and and AIDS activism and all that, who did more of intimate portraiture kind of stuff, you know, like life as it happens Mm -hmm. was an inspiration for how they filmed this too. Mm -hmm. Not this scene in particular, but the film as a whole. And I think it really does make it feel like a very lived in unique thing. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It it literally is like every frame is a painting. Yeah. You kind of feel too that conscience knows what's happening as it happens too, right? But he allows it. But he allows it to happen because that's what a man does right yeah a man's nag going mm. to complain about it he is literally gonna die with his emotions inside of him yeah and adrian doesn't know that this is what's mm-hmm. happened so when the explosion occurs they think that vincent might be dead and that that is a really tense moment for them mm-hmm. and mm. a legitimate like moment of fear for them yeah that scene where he's crawling out of the fire honestly mm-hmm. is so badass the lighting there on his face where it's partially in shadow Ugh. is so intense because well he had to kill his conscience to see what he loves mm-hmm. well i think also too it's like if we're talking about firefighters that is a quote-unquote masculine job mm-hmm. this idea of going into danger disregarding your emotions and fears and just saving people saving the day and it's the way that it ends positively for me in this film is that vincent bridges the gap instead of like physicality on an emotional and maturity level because the next scene while adrian's showering vincent knocks and comes in and says i don't care who you are you will always be my son. Mm-hmm. And they have that reveal of their body. And, you know, they're just like, okay, this is what's up. That's it. That's. Yeah. They do bond with Vincent, attempt to have Alexia help him with steroids yes. as well as try to teach uh, Alexia and Adrian how to shave, which I'm just like. Those are so cute. It's so cute. I'm just like, God, I have memories of just 
stuff like that. Like, there's just, it's that male bonding of, mm. like, father and son where it's, like, this isn't the toxic bullshit. This is, like, honest, heart-to-heart of him attempting to help Adrian. Yeah, this is bonding and raising. Learn and all that. It's so good with that, but I do love that line. I don't care who you are. You're my son. You'll always be my son. Whoever you are, is that clear? Yeah. Oh, what a moment. It's so good. Put that on a throat pillar. <laughs> and moving from that, even though we've just had like this disaster thing that conscience is dead, they have another big party in the firehouse. Yes. And it's a reverse of that first scene with Alexia as an adult because like all the fire trucks are crowded in there instead of cars and all the men are dancing without their shirts. Well, it's a different type because it's not the pop. It's grimier. It's like this very aggressive rave music Mm -hmm. going on and them all shirtless and jacked up just like mosh pitting. It's not like the very more tender, intimate, emotional swaying of bisexual lighting because this is like flashing lights this is probably honestly where there might have been an issue for people who are susceptible to seizures yeah this is just pure mosh pit energy yeah and it's you can see that like also alexia has a confusion about it because it's not that same energy because when they hoist because they've accepted adrian now and they hoist him up onto the fire truck to do a dance. And instead, yeah. the scene will be forever etched in my head. It's like this really sultry 16 horsepower cover of Wayfaring yes. Stranger. And mm-hmm. they do it with an intimate, vulnerable kind of way that is against type it's to that masculinity. Inverse. Yeah, it's the inverse. And so yeah. it's not that this is particularly lurid. It's that they're reacting negatively because it's not how you do things. Yes. Well, also, too, it's like... It's not only inverse to the masculinity, but also it's that inverse to the first part of the movie where at the car show with the dancing and all of that, by that she it is quote unquote acceptable because she is feminine presenting. Mm-hmm. But as more masculine presenting, that is a big no no because there is not only the feminine aspect, but also there is that queer aspect of this disruption of gender mm-hmm. of just like gender energy gender presentation what is this performance as well which causes all them to be so confused yeah they it just stops kills the vibe vincent walks in and despite everything that they have now gone through it disgusts him or at least embarrasses him it embarrasses him because i think for him his arc is learning not to care what others think Mm -hmm. and become more comfortable with himself because it's like i am totally fine with this in our own space but as the chief this is acceptable but an outtake where others can see it exactly and so it kills the party it kills the party the music immediately stops the lights so good and it's just her on top of the fire truck. And it's just... Such a cool shot. Uh-huh. It's such a cool shot. It's like this... The scene is this weird mix of heartbreaking and cringe. You you feel so bad. But yeah, if you're talking about that queer aspect, the idea of like displaying this queer behavior in this space, which is immediately... And being seen for it, like as clearly for what it is. For what it is and getting that response, it's very much that idea, even with Vincent, it's like he is not fully accepted it. He's yes. only accepted mm-hmm. it's like 
this is fine in certain circumstances, but outside those circumstances, yeah. we have a problem. Yeah, and it's it's cool because it what it does is it provides the opportunity for him to go from conditional love to unconditional. Just casually. Exactly. And so the party breaks up. Alexia's feeling real bad about everything, so she goes and fucks a fire truck. And as you do. Yeah, as you do. And then Vincent is in a very depressive state, gets real drunk and, you know, is playfully quote unquote like setting himself on fire with a little bit of alcohol and a cigarette. Classic. And then freaking out and putting it out, you know, just having a depressive moment. And that's when it's on. That's when like the delivery is going to come. So yeah. Alexia freaks out and goes outside and there's that stark shot of the firehouse. And it's broad daylight. Alexia is walking across the grounds towards the hills. It's very natural, but it's surreal. Well, also, it's like the first time that she is her true self. Mm -hmm. Like, in broad daylight, it's like the curtains are gone. The shadows are out. All that's left is really you. And I do love that scene of just, like, the skin cracking, revealing the metal beneath it. The fact that it's like, it's just slowly tearing her apart right and it's all underneath and it's going to come back here in a second when we get to the mm-hmm. delivery but she flees the firehouse and because she's going to vincent like that's where she feels safe and comfort exactly and it's so weird because she's conflating this safety and vulnerability with almost transactional relationships in that like she wants to know what she can do to keep safe like that and she has this sexual moment with Vincent that he immediately pushes away. Shuts down. Yeah. 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 She shuts down. He also shuts down. They cannot truly connect that way because there is that disruption. To the point that like Vincent is so repulsed by this that he goes to leave until Alexi is asking for help until delivery yeah. is coming. And then he fully opens up. Mm-hmm. It's such a visually powerful scene course is the end of the movie so it's going to be but he picks up alexia and puts them on the bed to help them deliver and you see her stomach splitting open and the oil coming out uh and it's very powerful yeah oh it's so exactly well also too in that it's around that moment where he's like what's your actual name yeah because he's saying adrian right and like the oil is spilling out her water is broken the contractions are coming yeah and as they are holding hands it's all it's in that way there's a very masculine energy to to this labor because they're they're both holding on there and they say like my name's alexia yes which I feel isn't them saying, I deceived you. It's more saying, I, I I'm trust trusting you. you to hold this secret and to not reject me in the face. I of trust it. you. I being emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. That's so powerful. And that's a thing that people really, really it's, feel and, and yeah, have absolutely. great fear of, especially as, as queer people, as trans people. It's something that's very innate to us. Another thing that I do really appreciate is the fact that there really isn't. In a lot of media with, let's be fully honest, with queer characters and all that, yeah. there has to be like this great moment where the homophobic parent relative has to come to terms and like have this come to Jesus moment. It's like, no, it's a very subtle, natural, realistic. Yeah, I really appreciate the way it happens. I feel like it's a series of like tiny moments where little things change and he gets things wrong, makes it mistakes along the way but you can tell it's out of care for this person yes because they're well they're 
still processing the stages of grief when they meet Adrian. And so there's still like a lot of pain that that's present there, but they do make that jump and that leap of faith, which I think mm-hmm. is because this is where uh, Alexia dies. The They go yeah. through labor and the plate in their head, which they are told in the beginning would only move under violent impact. Off it goes. Pops yeah. free and kills her. Kills her with that. And also it's like, the stage is a grief. Like he is at acceptance. Mm-hmm. He's finally achieved it. They are both kind of becoming new people in that moment. Obviously, Alexia is dying, exactly. but Vincent becomes someone different as new life is brought into the world. And I do also think that it, it's interesting. I was just pausing on one of the shots that when you see Alexia in labor and it does a close up on the side, it looks like they have a little mustache. Yeah. And obviously they're androgynous, but there is a bit more to the read yeah. for trans men who experience pregnancy too. Cause I think that there yeah. is so much trans masculine energy in this film that you can read it as that. And, and that it can be a very, cause again, you know, just like trans feminine characters do not need to be models yeah. of behavior. Neither do trans masculine here. We love movies about pe- bad people no. doing bad shit. She's a serial killer and also bisexual. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. It's like, the reason why she's bad is because of her queerness. Yeah. Which is the thing. Absolutely. I, yeah, it's fine. It's it's fine. That's put her, put her on the pride parade. Let women have hobbies. Let women have hobbies. But yeah, no, I think if you want to go along mm-hmm. that trans-masculine reading as well, the idea of like the dysphoria of the pregnancy with your own mm-hmm. masculine identity, and now she has bridged the gap with this birth. And of course, there yeah. are also plenty of, there are so many trans masculine people who have pregnancies and babies and exactly. it's a wonderful thing in life, but there are also people for whom it oh, is yeah, not. Exactly. And so that can be explored there. And I also think it's genuine and amazing how you see that care in yeah, Vincent's eyes. His eyes are watering up as he not only experiences this moment, but like is grieving for his child with the loss of another. Well, he actually has that physical child to grieve over instead of just the, the idea yeah yeah and then also has not even a second chance a third chance to raise a, a child and to to nurture that life in a way exactly and that's when we see as alexia dies we see this newborn that vincent takes mm-hmm. up and wraps in the sheet and holds and what does he say he says i'm here i'm here i also do want by that it would have been so easy to just have the kid be purely like mm-hmm. metal and all that. I do love the fact that the kid, the baby, mm-hmm. the newborn has just like that middle skeleton. Yeah, it's great. And it's also like the fact that Vincent at this point doesn't even blink at that. That's great. Has come on this, this full circle arc where he is opened his heart so fully that that doesn't matter to him and it never yeah. even registered as something to consider this child different it was just like yeah i'm here that's that's all that matters right now yeah because the kid is this bridge between flesh and metal mm-hmm. flesh and blood yeah flesh and blood flesh and metal <laughs> uh, yeah very much with all that because you know humans in the world while you slept the world changed this kid could be a mutant sure could be and then we get that last great title card mm-hmm. to do it's like an inversion of the front title card which yes. had like alexia's x-rays of their skull on there and this yeah. time we get it inverted to white 
And that's the power of love, folks. Sure is. I do love how this movie has such kind of like this trashy pop punk aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, this is pure vibes. Vibes all the way. Like to me, this is like a movie where on the soundtrack, you could see a Charlie XCX song next to you like, a Nine Inch Nail song. And it would both of them would place. slap hard. They truly would. Teton 2. Let's go. We can add <laughs> Teton 2. We'll do it Romeo plus Juliet style. Just a second soundtrack. Let's just get a second soundtrack in there. Yeah, let's just, just do it. Just do a second soundtrack, truly, with all that. I, that would be funny. But no, if this was like an American film, they would be like, so the next movie's gonna be about the kids, right? Like, no, it's okay. Right? It's good. No, it's fine. We don't need to continue what yeah, it ended. We're it's done. fine. It's, it's good. Better. Let it be one thing. Before we move into questions, what else do you all want to say about Titan? And kind of like maybe something that we didn't really get to cover? Because I mean, like we can talk around this literally as we have been for hours, but <laughs> you really just need to see this movie. Like you got to watch this. It's not a perfect film. I will say this is easily a five-star Mm -hmm. for Natalie visually aesthetically but also just thematically and writing I think to me this is a movie that goes really above and beyond what it could have been and I think it's really impressive considering how more how contained Raw was yeah and I do commend her for really just swinging for the fences with this movie I love it and I think it's just more impressive the fact that she sticks to landing. Yeah. She truly does it. And I think, honestly, that a lot of filmmakers can't do that. No. I really respect just going all out. Let's see how it shakes out. And the answer is pretty well. Not counting her shorts, but between at least like Raw and yeah. Titan, you know, this one, it also explores like love and family and intimacy in a different way though than raw does like a raw feels more familiar intimacy whereas this one feels like the kind of intimacy that can come upon you in a moment's notice the kind of changes that can happen to your life unexpectedly Mm -hmm. well with raw it's very much the idea of the flesh and Mm -hmm. blood the ties that bind with that and very much with titan it's like the found family or the family that you can make a lot of the way that don't need to be related but still have that impact and closeness as well raw has that more intergenerational film kind of vibe to it exactly all right so we have a couple of questions i want to thank everybody who wrote in we have been a little bit more away than i initially thought but like you know healing takes time folks sure does. But we're really excited about the next couple of episodes coming out. So we appreciate everybody writing in for questions and we're going to talk about the episodes coming up after this. So the first question we have back from your friend Casper. So Casper says, Margo, please don't kill me. (laughs) Becca insisted I sent this question. Love a question that starts like that. Yes, I do too. In the spirit of fuck around and find out, which model of car would make you want to fuck it and why? Hey, I respect this question. I'm not a big car person i was raised around a lot of them my dad worked with them my dad used to be like an f1 mechanic it was a whole thing but i've just never simply never had the the brain for it i'm trying to think like i guess your classics are gonna be like your american muscle cars those are the ones that everyone wants to go for oh absolutely (laughs) i have an answer to this i was thinking on this for a while and i think for me i would be 
getting down with like a fucking 1985 to 87 Toyota 4Runner or a 1985 AMC Eagle because you always remember your first. Oh, I've missed the, the obvious answer for me personally. It's got to be a Subaru. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got to play the game. For the culture. We're going to put a carabiner it's on that Subaru. The- You're going to have a great time. Oh, yeah. You're going to put some kayaks on top. That's the culture, baby. For me, read my proposed uh, not safe for work traits for fan fiction. Just kidding. It's probably going to be mm-hmm. a 60s uh, Red Ooh, Plymouth. Ooh, I like that. That's some style. Listen, yeah, that's good. Christine made it a bad oh, time. God. Yeah. yeah, that first scene where they're pulling her off the factory line just looks so good. Ooh, so good. She can call me. Okay, well, Casper... Thank you so much for that. And we, uh, we've got one other question. This comes from Adam Reck from Battle of the Atom. Send us a question on Instagram. Ooh. Yeah, shout out Battle Ooh. of the Atom, hey, Zach Adam. and Adam. Adam says, I can't wait to hear you talk about this one. Question. Is the car coitus literal or symbolic? Ooh. <sighs> I think there's... I think if you believe it's symbolic, you're a coward. Just it's just kidding. more fun i think to me there's this thing where it's like can it go either way yes but i think honestly to me the more literal aspect of the car sex is so much more fascinating and in line with not only the film but also with julia's other work mm-hmm. I, I mean this is a movie where she has been killing people for 10 years and no one has noticed or caught her so mm-hmm. how is this somehow the most unrealistic thing? Yeah, I I agree. I know that Doka Renu has talked about it being literal because it's all in the, the world of the movie. So it's all playing by those rules. If you see it, it's happened. And I think that it's more fun. It's like there's more at stake. It's more inventive. I can think more about it. So I always go for literal. I mean, I think it's, it's both, mm-hmm. right? Like it is literal, but also there's a lot of scope to have a a metaphorical reading on it but i think it does happen like i think it is literal it's just also there's a very clean nice metaphor you can map onto it where precisely there's a lot of play with you know control and sexuality there uh, which i think makes it even richer well also just like the idea of the idea monstrosity itself it's the literal and the figurative and all that also, too, with uh, Adam hosting Battle of Adam as well. I mean, is it more implausible than Mass and Jeffrey's mm. danger? I don't think so. <laughs> God. Coming up, we have Scream with Karen Charm. Very excited for that one. Questions are closed for that. But questions are open for The Shining with Tucker Lieberman and Alien with Taryn Freeman out to get you podcast at gmail.com send in your questions we want to hear and we didn't even talk about this in the beginning of the show but what about that new valentine smith logo isn't that a beauty it's perfect i will buy multiple t-shirts in multiple colors but that's i just wear it i think it's truly it's incredible it's just so good what the best designs i've seen they really not to that part it's just beautiful. We're so grateful to Valentine. And now that you mention it, you can buy a t-shirt of this very logo. Just go to tpublic.com slash out to get you and initiate yourself into the hallowed halls of horror and homoeroticism. 
but just wanted to send a shout out to yeah. Valentine for that. You can check out more of their original art on ValentineMSmith.com. And of course, you can also check out Blade Maidens out right now by Zoe Tanell and Valentine M. Smith, friends of the pod who have been gracious enough to be on here. And we talked with Zoe last time about Fright Night, which was so much fun. Friends of the pod. Yeah, girlfriends <laughs> of the pod. It's a great episode. They really do a good job of uh, biting into it. They do sink their teeth they in. They do sink their teeth yeah. in. And also buy it because Natalie's in a cool shirt, but also support queer creators. That's right. So, Brant, before we get out of here, where can people find you and what do you want to plug? Yeah, so people can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Brant.Lewis. You can also find my blog instagram and medium it's called the blog of the woods i've started to get back more into writing that i just finished a review of uh the exorcist believer yeah and outside of that i'm currently in the process of working on two film projects what is a documentary that i started grad school that i'm finally getting around to finishing and the other is hopefully gonna be my next uh horror short which is very much like a cronenberg Julia DiCurno type of body horror short film that I'm hoping to start production on next year because I'm currently in the process of a film takes so long. Well, those are yeah really exciting to hear. Please keep us up to date on that and please come back to talk with us again. Absolutely. I'm always down. You can find us at out to get you pod on Instagram and blue sky. You can find us at Phoenix force on blue sky and Pearl snapped. And we've got more coming your way soon, but let's just make sure we get through the end of the year here first, folks. Yes, we'll do. Mm-hmm. Let's survive 2023. <laughs> but until then, listeners, we'll see you before you see us. <laughs> <laughs>